good morning again. Today we're going to be looking at the last section of the Apostles' Creed. And then the plan is for the next two weeks, we're going to look at the Athanasian Creed. And I want to say again, um, I hope that this has been a blessing for you. Uh, I know that it has been for me. I can honestly say it's been a blessing and a help to me. I'm grateful for what the Lord has taught me and has done in my heart through this um, series. Our text today is picking up right where we left off last week. So go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 42 through 47. If you're able, as you get there, go ahead and stand and follow along as I read um, Acts 2 verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We're so grateful that you have entrusted us with so many different graces in this life. And we count this one of them, Lord. We praise you that you've blessed us with your word, and we ask that you'd help us to have ears to hear and hearts that are receptive to what you say, Lord, in the text. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. The section of the Apostles' Creed that we are looking at today is the very uh, last part. It it, it says this. You can follow along if you picked up a sheet uh, coming in. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We're going to primarily be talking about the church today. And I'd like to do that by looking at two points about the church. Two simple but important points about the church. The structure of the sermon this morning is this. First, the church is holy And second, the church is one. The church is holy and the church is one. And I want to begin by saying this. I've said this before in in the past as we've looked at texts throughout this book. But I think it's important. The book of Acts is meant to be descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, it is a historical book in the Bible. There are things in Acts that are meant for us to, or or that are not meant for us to try and imitate. For instance, when Peter is walking along and people are trying to lay down on the road so that his shadow might fall over them as he's walking along, that they would be healed, that is historical. That's descriptive, and we're to respond with awe of how God was working in the early days of the church and in the coming of the Holy Spirit. The text today is both descriptive 
and prescriptive. Descriptive that it tells us how the Spirit was working within the body and how there was multiplication of the church as the people were believing in Christ. Descriptive as we read that the apostles who are no longer with us were used by God to do great and awesome miracles that brought all among the people. Descriptive as we see how the body responded to the grace of God and the work of the Spirit in their lives. But also it's prescriptive in helping us to see things that are true about the church. Things that we see throughout the rest of the New Testament. As teachings and commands for the body of Christ. And so let's, let's work through it together as we consider the Apostles' Creed. The section of the creed that we're looking at begins with, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now the creed is Trinitarian. Not at all as Trinitarian as the Athanasian Creed, which you're going to see over the next few weeks, but it highlights belief in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the sermon on July 3rd, we saw how the Holy Spirit is divine and how the Holy Spirit works. And part of that is how He is the giver of life. John 6, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And that's where we're going to focus on the Holy Spirit as we discuss the church. So the first thing that we're going to be looking at is the church is holy. The church is holy. Now what makes the church holy is the work of the Holy Spirit, not the work of the church. We're going to see this morning and could look at many, many many things in the New Testament, that there are works that the church is called to do that, that are set apart from the world. And that's what holy means, to be set apart from. But those works that the church is called and commanded to do, do not make the church holy. The Spirit does. As we consider Acts 2, the Spirit has descended on the people of God, and there are effects of that. The Spirit making the church holy, setting the church apart for good works. In the Creed, we declare our belief in one holy Catholic church. A church that is set apart from the world for the purpose of bringing glory and honor to the Lord. I said this a few weeks ago on July 10th, but it needs to be repeated. The church is holy because of the work of the Spirit based on the work of Christ. The church is holy. Christ took the punishment for our sin on the cross and credits us with the righteousness of Christ when we trust in Him by the power of the Spirit. He makes us holy. That doesn't mean that the church is sinless. We are declared holy by God's mercy and grace, but we still struggle with sin. We practice sin too often, far more than we practice the gospel. But in position before God, through Christ, the church is holy. The church is set apart. We see that again in the creed, what we're looking at today. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. 
We believe that Christ really did fulfill the work that needed to be done to bring forgiveness of sins to all who would come to Him. We remember that week after week after week as a local church body. We're reminded each time we take the Lord's Supper. His body was broken for us. His blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. That is a wonderful thing. The church is wholly forgiven. And just pause and think about that. The knowledge that there is forgiveness of sins, the belief that there is forgiveness of sins will change us. And it goes on, we believe in the resurrection of the body. What does that mean? It means that the church, those who are a part of the church, the church will be raised just as Christ was raised. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Now that reference to first fruits goes back to the Old Testament. Whenever there was a harvest time, the people were to bring the first fruits to the Lord. They were the earliest gathered fruits that that people offered to God, recognizing His faithfulness and providing for them. It signifies that the first bundle of the upcoming grain harvest would be followed by the rest of the sheaves. There is more to come. So what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15, he's saying that Christ is that first sheaf. That he's the evidence of a harvest that is to come. He's the guarantee for all those who belong to him that they also will share in his resurrection. We believe in the resurrection of the body. Now maybe you might think, weren't there people who were raised from the dead before Jesus? And the answer to that is yes. But all of them were raised to die again. Jesus is raised to live forevermore, and He is the first fruits of those to do that. We will follow in that. We will be raised to live forevermore. The church is holy, and because it is holy, it will be raised to be with the Lord. And then we believe in the life everlasting. The church is holy and will be raised and will live forever. We will be with Him forever. The Lord is restoring all things to Himself. All things to Himself. When we think of life everlasting, it's not just people. It's God. It's a kingdom. It's everlasting joy. It's all things that are broken being made right. The church is holy and will live forever. 
one of the things that assists us in living in light of the holiness that is granted to us is something we see in our text in Acts 2.42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and prayer. When we devote ourselves coming to what the Lord has spoken through His people, His, those who He used to write the Word, what the Lord says to us through the Word, and communicating to Him and worshiping Him through prayer and feasting on the Word. The body is nourished and equipped to live out the holiness that is counted, credited to us. And so the first thing we see is that the church is holy. The church is set apart. The second thing we're going to look at is that the church is one. The church is one. Now, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. But I want to build on it, especially as we consider Acts 2, 42 through 47, which is such a wonderful text for the church. In the sermon from the Nicene Creed on July 10th, I had said that the church is a single body, the body of Christ, with people from every age, tribe, tongue, nation, and people set apart by Him for His glory. The church has one head. Not Cornerstone has one head, and the Lutheran church has one head, and the Eastern Orthodox Church has one head. No, the church globally, universally has one head and it is Christ and therefore there is one body. The Apostles' Creed, like the Nicene Creed says, one holy Catholic church. As a reminder, that word Catholic means universal. It means that there is only one church. The church in every corner of this planet and from every age is the Catholic church and Christ is the head of the church. We are united together with the church, believers from nations and denominations around the world. We are one. That's the big picture of the church being one. And it's essential that we know that and that our confession of that impacts the way we talk about, interact with, pray for, and think about those believers from nations and denominations around the world. And for the rest of our time, I want to zoom in a bit as we consider how the church being one should affect the local body as a part of the church that is one. The Apostles' Creed says that we believe in the communion of saints. Now, just so we understand, the word saints there means believers. It means anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, all who are saved. Believers have a fellowship that is unique to anything else in the world. The gospel brings people into fellowship with the Son and the Father, mediated by the Holy Spirit. And we celebrate that fellowship with the bread and the cup, sharing in the benefits of Jesus' atoning death. 
And that fellowship with God flows out horizontally in the church, in true fellowship, true community. Consider how we see this in Acts 2, 42 through 47. We're going to work through it. The church, the saints, devoted themselves to fellowship, it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now, Paul uses this word for fellowship again and again throughout his writings. This fellowship should be active. Not something we passively hope will happen to us or for us, but something we have because of the gospel that we pursue, that we're actively participating in because of the gospel of Jesus. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 12, 9 through 13, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I was a benefactor of this. My parents were a benefactor of this these last few days. Two of my sons, Sam and Silas and I, and and four of the men in this church, Chris and Harley and Mike and Brandon, uh, jumped in a minivan and drove to my parents' house in eastern Tennessee on Friday and got there and loaded up a 26-foot moving truck with all of their belongings that they are taking with them anyway. and, and drove the truck back. They are following this next week to move. It's a beautiful picture of the body coming together to serve, to have fellowship together, letting love be genuine. The church is one. And that oneness is demonstrated in unique fellowship. Next, it says in verse 44 that all who believed were together and had all things in common. I have a question. Do you think that Luke, who wrote this, Luke wrote the the Gospel of Luke and Acts, do you think he was embellishing here? They had all things in common. Can you imagine? They were together. They were together. We see that in the text. We see that in in the text's following. They were literally together a lot. They were with each other. So we can't chalk it up to them having all things in common because they didn't really hang out a lot. And so they didn't get on each other's nerves. They had all things in common. Now listen, I don't think that's because they agreed about every detail as it relates to politics or sports or whatever else. No, it's because those things weren't priorities for them. The gospel, the gospel was priority. 
I think there are things that we argue and divide over because we've made them priorities. And we're filtering our understanding of the gospel and the church through our political lens or through whatever else lens. Rather than focusing primarily on the gospel and letting that color the way that we see others and treat others. I didn't say the way that we... letting it color the way that we see positions. But people, the way that we see people, letting it color the way we see the world, letting the gospel be our lens for all things. This is the church, the one holy church. They had all things in common. What do we see next? Verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This is true oneness in the body of Christ. They were looking at their possessions differently now. They saw the body of Christ as better than their belongings. They saw others as more important than their stuff and so with gladness they sold their belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Again, Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The church displays its oneness in the way that it provides for those in need, the way way it shares what it has in its hospitality. Verse 46 continues, and day by day, attending the temple... Together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Day by day, they wanted to be together and they wanted to worship God together. Day by day, attending the temple together. Now understand here, okay? This is Jewish worship. We haven't gotten to Acts 15 yet. There hasn't been a Jerusalem council to sort out what it means to be Jewish and Christian. We haven't gotten there yet. Those are are hurdles still to be crossed. So this is Jewish worship that's still happening. It's a good reminder for us. They go to the temple and they worship God as followers of Jesus because that's what they knew. Yes, there's more understanding that's going to come as they are figuring out what it means to be Jewish and Christian, but they were worshiping in spirit, in truth, as Jews who continued to go to the temple. Just as we talked about with the Eastern Orthodox Church or other denominations, it might not be something that we would be comfortable with or understanding, but it, but it doesn't mean it wasn't orthodox. That they weren't being faithful that it wasn't right belief, that it isn't true worship. They just longed to be together because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they longed to worship together. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were thankful. They were thankful people. The church is holy. Holy, and the church is 
thankful. We should be the most thankful people on the planet. I'm going to say that again. We should be the most thankful people on the planet. Receiving our food with thanksgiving. Receiving information with thanksgiving. Communicating information with thanksgiving. We should be thankful. Paul says in all circumstances. Ephesians 5.4 Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Philippians 4.6 Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 1 Timothy 4, 4, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Colossians 3, 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. The church is a place of thanksgiving. We are to be thankful. And then look at, look at the rest of it. Having favor with all the people. And I'm going to confess something to you. I get caught up with, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers every single time I read this text. This is the first time that this has ever stood out to me. They had favor with all the people. Now, who are the people? Unbelievers. Their love and charity, their unity and joy, their thanksgiving and praise was winsome. Was winsome. Now, I want to say something here. Unbelievers have not changed. They're just as lost today as when this was written. They haven't changed. Don't let yourself make that excuse here. When the church is loving, the way that is expressed here, the way that Jesus loved others, when the church is giving, the way that the church was here, when it is thankful and communicating with thanksgiving, the world will watch and the world will respect. People need to be loved. And people love to be loved. All people love to be loved. And I think that we've come to a point where maybe we presume that the world hates everything about us. And we may disagree with and even hate things that we believe and things that we say, it may do that. Stances that we, or that they see that we take. But it will always respond to genuine love, to genuineness in our lives. Just because we don't agree with the direction that unbelievers are going doesn't mean we ridicule or remove ourselves from them. 
Now notice, it doesn't say all their unbelieving friends got saved. That's not what I'm communicating here. I'm telling you what this says. It doesn't say they all got saved. It says they had favor with them. The unbelievers were looking at their love for one another and their love for unbelievers. And there was favor. First Peter 2, 9 through 17. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor Everyone, love the brother, fear God, honor the emperor. They had favor with all the people. Their oneness, their fellowship, their unity, their love, the genuineness of their love was winsome. Again, we know from the New Testament, we know from church history, that doesn't mean they all got saved. It doesn't mean they all said, you're right because you're loving. But they had favor because of their love. They had favor because of how the church lived. Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We're going to move into a time where we take the Lord's Supper. And another thing we haven't addressed from the text is that they broke bread together daily. Now, this is a beautiful thing, but we ought to ask, is this prescriptive, that they break bread daily? I don't think so. They likely broke bread and partook of the Lord's Supper in homes rather than in the temple. And they did, they did it daily here. But we see later in Acts, in Acts 20, verse 7, it says, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day and he prolonged the speech until midnight. This is what we practice at Cornerstone. We break bread on the first of the week. We partake of the Lord's Supper together on the first of the week. And we do so as a means of oneness and fellowship in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. The cup of blessing, this is Paul writing, 
The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? That word participation is the same word that we've just been looking at in Acts 2.42, that they were devoted to fellowship. That's the same Greek word. Fellowship or participation. That as often as you do this, when we, when we break bread, when we break the bread together, partake of it together, that there's a unique participation or fellowship in the body of Christ. When we drink the cup together, there's a unique participation or fellowship in the blood of Christ. And so I would encourage you, if you don't, if you don't yet know the Lord, if you're not surrendered to Him, if you never trusted or believed in Christ and what He did for us to accomplish the work of forgiveness that can be ours in Him, if you haven't done that, then, then just let the bread and the cup go by today. You're going to be dismissed row by row to come and receive it. But just, just stay there, I would encourage you, and, and pray. What the Bible teaches is that there's literally participation in what, at this point, you may not believe yet. The next chapter, Paul says that each and every time we take the bread and drink the cup, it's a proclamation that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And in the same way, if you don't yet trust in him, that's not something you would want to proclaim yet. So my encouragement to you is just, just let this be the one part of the service that you kind of step out of and, and take this time to pray. And my, my desire for you and our desire for you is that you would partake of Jesus today. Not that you'd partake of a, of a cracker and, and a cup, but that you'd partake of Jesus himself and trust in him. For those who do know him, let's pray that the Lord would unite us truly as part of the church, living out the beauty of oneness to one another, and to those who don't believe in our neighborhoods and workplaces, in our schools, on social media platforms, and on and on and on. That they would see in me and in you fellowship, having all things in common, laying down our things for the sake of others, true worship, prayer, feasting, the Lord's Supper, and loving like they've never, ever known. Let's take the bread and the cup believing in the forgiveness of sins and in the hope of the church through the body and blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You're good to us. In our weaknesses, our stumblings, you're good to us. We praise you for the picture that we see here, Lord. And we know that they were not perfect. We know that there were disagreements. We see that in texts that follow. And yet you united their hearts through the gospel in such a unique and 
beautiful way to display what the church is like. So much so that they had favor with all the people. God, I genuinely pray for that. That we would put our individualness aside. That our lens would be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that lens would truly affect the way that we look at each other, the way that we serve each other, the way that we love each other, the way we have fellowship, Lord. And that it would affect the way that we communicate with thanksgiving to the world, Lord. That we would not be quick to be offended by their beliefs or even even surprised by their beliefs. But with genuineness of faith in you and with thanksgiving, we would truly love. Lord, it's impossible without you, without your help. So I ask you to help, Lord. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.